1: To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily
0: notifications. This is Day 5. Today we will be reading Book 2, Chapters 1-3 through in the Ascension edition of the book.
1: We want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Before
0: we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So we will hear in these first few chapters of book two about St. Augustine's lust, (laughs) which is kind of a favorite theme associated with the confessions. Since he is said to have prayed or we read him pray, you know, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. So a man of great desire, a man of great love, but in disorderly fashion, he tends after lower goods in place of higher goods. So you've probably heard, obviously, the word lust and the word chastity. Lust is a sin opposed to chastity, where you go about seeking sexual fulfillment in a way that's either you know like not appropriate, like it's not in the right context, it's not in the right setting, like which is to say married love, or it's too much, or it's too little, or it's infertile, or whatever. So lust just kind of covers a variety of sins there. Uh, but it's specifically speaking to the desire which is inflamed which is disordered and then chastity is a virtue which is for all people you know before during and after marriage or pertaining to another state of life whether that be priesthood or religious life but it's the control or the discipline of sexual desires that way it attains to its end which is love unto heaven so let's go ahead and get started in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen breathe in me O holy spirit that my thoughts may all be holy Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Book 2. 1. I will now recall my past foulness and the carnal corruptions of my soul, not out of love for them, but rather so that I may love you, my God. It is for love of your love that I recall these things, reflecting on my deeds, how wicked they were and how bitter to remember. But I do so in order that you may grow in sweetness for me, O you whose sweetness is unfailing, blissful, and ever sure. Calling all of this to mind, I gather myself back together out of the dissipation that had torn me into pieces while I was turned away from you, the one good, allowing myself to be lost amid a multiplicity of things. For even prior to this, in the midst of my youth, I burned to be filled with things below and dared to grow wild once more with these varied and shadowy loves. My beauty was consumed and wasted away, see Psalm 39, 11, and I rotted away before your eyes, pleasing myself and desiring to be pleasing in the eyes of men. 2. And what did I delight in? To love and to be loved, But I did not keep the right measure of love from soul to soul, friendship's bright boundary, but rather, out of the murky concupiscence of the flesh and the burbling haze of puberty, wafted up clouds that overshadowed my heart so that I could not distinguish the clear brightness of love from the fog of lust. Both were mixed together, boiling within me, hurtling my unbridled youth over the precipice of unholy desires, immersing me in a whirlpool of shameful things, Your wrath had gathered over me, yet I was unaware of this. I had grown deaf from the clanking of the chains of my mortality, the punishment of my soul's pride, and strayed even further from you. You let me be as I was tossed about, wasted and dissipated, boiling over in my fornications, and you remained silent, O you my joy, whom I received so late. You then remained silent, and I wandered further and further from you into ever more fruitless fields of sorrow, proud dejection, and restless weariness. O who might have then moderated my disorder and put to good use the fleeting beauties of these least things in your creation? O who might have erected a boundary to their pleasurableness so that the tides of my youth might have crashed upon the shore of marriage if these turbulent waters could not have been calmed? At least then they would have been retained by the needs of a family, as your law prescribes, O Lord, who in this way form the offspring of this our death, O you who can, with your gentle hand, dole the thorns that were excluded from your paradise. For your omnipotence is not far from us, even when we are far from you. Or, otherwise, I ought to have heeded more carefully the voice speaking from the clouds, quote, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that, end quote. 1 Corinthians 7.28 End quote. It is well for a man not to touch a woman, end quote. 1 Corinthians 7.1 and likewise, quote, "...the unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife." End quote. 1 Corinthians 7, 32-33 I should have listened to these words more attentively, and thus set apart for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, see Matthew 19, 12, awaited more happily your embraces. But poor wretch that I was, I frothed like the disturbed waves of the sea, following the rushing tidewater within me, forsaking you and exceeding all the limits that you have set. Yet I did not escape your scourges. What mortal can? For you were always mercifully rigorous with me, ever mingling bitterness into all of my lawless pleasures, so that I might seek ones that were pure and unalloyed. But where are we to find these? This I could not discover except in you, O Lord, who teaches by means of sorrow. See Deuteronomy 32.29 wounding us in order to heal us, killing us lest we die apart from you. Where was I and how far was I exiled from the delights of your house in that sixteenth year of my life in the flesh, when the madness of lust, to which human shamefulness gives open license, though it is unlicensed by your laws, took free reign over me, while I myself gave myself wholly over to it. Meanwhile, my friends took no care to suggest marriage in order to prevent my fall, their only concern was that I should learn to speak excellently and be a persuasive orator. 3. Indeed, during that year, after my return journey from Medaurus, a neighboring city where I had journeyed to learn grammar and rhetoric, my studies were interrupted while expenses were being provided for so that I might take a further journey to Carthage. This was arranged more by the resolved will of my father than by his financial means, for he was but a poor freeman of Tagaste. To, to whom do I tell these things? Not to you, my God, but before you to my fellow men, even to that small portion of mankind that may happen to read these writings of mine. To what purpose? So that whoever might read this may reflect on the great depths from which we cry out unto you. See Psalm 130, verse 1. For what is nearer to your ears than a confessing heart and a life of faith? Who did not extol my Father for furnishing, beyond his means, his Son with all that was needed for a far journey, so that he might undertake further studies? Indeed, many far abler citizens did nothing similar for their children. But this same father had no concern for how I was growing in relation to you or concerning how chaste I was, so long as I was eloquent in speech, however barren I might happen to be, like a land untilled by your hand, O God, who are the only true and good Lord of your field, my heart. But during my 16th year, I lived with my parents, not attending school for a time, for my parents' modest means required such a season of idleness. And the briars of unclean desires grew over my head with no hand present to uproot them. When my father saw me at the baths, now growing toward manhood and filled with restless youthfulness, he thought of future descendants and gladly told my mother about this, rejoicing in the sensual tumult in which the world forgets you, its creator, and becomes enamored with your creation, instead of with you through the odors of that invisible wine of its self-will, turning aside and bowing down to the basest of things. However, in my mother's breast you had already begun to fashion your temple and the foundation of your holy dwelling, whereas my father was still merely a catechumen, indeed only quite recently so. Thus she was startled with holy fear and trembling, and although I was not as yet baptized, she feared for me that I would walk upon these crooked ways upon which trod those who turn their back to you and not their face. See Jeremiah 2.27 Woe is me! And dare I say that you remained silent, O my God, while I wandered further from you? Did you then indeed remain silent to me? When my mother, your faithful one, sang into my ears concerning you, whose words were those if not your own? But none of them sank into my heart so that I might actually act upon them. I remember how she would admonish me in private with great anxiety, do not commit fornication, and especially never defile another man's wife. Such advice seemed womanish to me, and I would have been embarrassed to follow it. However, they were your own words of advice, and I was unaware. But I thought you were silent, and that the only person speaking to me was she, through whom you were not silent to me, and in whom you were despised by me, her son, the son of your handmaid, your servant. See Psalm 116.16. But I was unaware of this, and ran headlong with such blindness, that when I heard my peers boast of their shameful deeds, I was more ashamed of being less shameless than they. And indeed, the more they boasted, the more they were degraded. And I took pleasure not only in the pleasure of the deed, but also in praise for it. What is deserving of scorn, if not vice? But I made myself worse than I was, so that I might not be scorned. And when I had not sinned, as had these forsaken ones, I would say that I had done something I had not done, so that I might not seem contemptible to them to the degree that I was innocent, or of less account, because I was more chaste." Behold the kind of companions I kept as I walked the streets of Babylon and wallowed in its mire as though upon a bed of spices and precious ointments. And, in order that I might rush more quickly to its very center, the invisible enemy trod upon me and seduced me, for I was easy to seduce. Nor, as she admonished me to embrace chastity, did the mother of my flesh, who had now fled from the center of Babylon, see Jeremiah 51.6, though she moved more slowly on its borders, Heed what she had heard about me from her husband, so as to restrain within the bounds of conjugal affection what she felt to be pestilent for the present and dangerous for the future, if it could not be fully pared away. For she feared that a wife might prove to be an obstruction and hindrance to my hopes, not those hopes of the world to come, which my mother rested in you, but rather the hope of learning, which both of my parents desired too greatly that I have, my father because he had nearly no thought concerning you and only vain conceits concerning me and my mother because she judged that those usual courses of learning would not only cause no hindrance toward attaining you, but indeed, even in some way would help in this. This is what I conjecture, recalling as well as I can my parents' disposition. In the meanwhile, the reins were slackened from me, so that I was limited by no just stricture, allowing me to spend my time in sport, indeed, even in whatsoever sort of dissolute activity that I desired." and a mist lay over all things, cutting me off, O my God, from the brightness of your truth, and my iniquity burst as though from its very fatness. See Psalm 73.7. Okay, so in these chapters, uh, St. Augustine is talking about his descent into the sin of lust, And, you know, we've all heard testimonies or witness talks given, and sometimes people seem to delight too much in recounting their sins. It's almost like they're boasting. But St. Augustine safeguards against that because he's recounting it for penitence' sake. So he himself is seeking to grow in penitence, and he's also making his confession to those of his church where he finds himself at the time. And maybe, you know, it'll help for them also to grow in penitence. So we've said that the controlling notion here is that he wants to love and to be loved, and part of that story is his growth in penitence. So, um, Father Jacob Bertrand, your thoughts here as he leads off with this description?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It Maybe not interesting. I don't know. I say interesting too much. It's like a crutch word, but it's interesting, so I'm going to say that again, that we talk about St. Augustine and his, his sins against chastity, because so often... When people have issues with the church or difficulties with church teaching, it often involves things of the in the moral life and the and like sexual sins and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's not always the best place to start because the way we live or why we live the moral life that we do is because of a relationship with Christ. But here we are with St. Augustine talking about his his sort of sins and with respect to lust and chastity and and recounting, you know, as you said, he's recounting it for penitence sake. I think it's also a wise practice not to perhaps imitate St. Augustine so boldly in our own lives about recounting our past sins, you know, in such a public nature. But he does it, and but he's a great saint, so it's okay. But the, this controlling notion that we've talked about, that we're going to talk about, this desire to be loved, we can see how sins against chastity are a sort of privation of the good, as we've mentioned, that, that we see in them a desire to be loved, to be affirmed, all of these things, but sort of going about it in the wrong way, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's a little too simplistic, but at least we can start there. It's going about it in the wrong way. So that's at play in St. Augustine's life, whether that's with lust or lack of chastity or other sort of areas of sin or weakness in our own lives at play too. But we can see that certainly at work, looking for things, good things in the wrong places, I guess we could put it that way.
0: Yeah. And and it's interesting too, St. Augustine, you know, undergoes this moral transformation that we're going to witness in these coming days. But there are a lot of moving parts. So here he's talking about you know, his ongoing formation. He just got back from grammar slash rhetoric school in Medaras. Uh, We're going to hear about him moving from his hometown of Tagas to Carthage, you know, back and forth between those two cities, it seems, for a time. And then um, he's going to go across the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and he's going to be in Rome and Milan for a time. All of this is part of his formation, then a part of his kind of career advancement. But there's this sense like, what what is the point of his experience? Uh, because a lot of us think, you know, if I travel to a you know, a bunch of different places and I have a, a bunch of different encounters with important or interesting people, then my life will be rich as a result. But like not necessarily, right? Because the point of, you know, this life, this mortal coil, is not to experience broadly or widely, but to experience deeply and richly, um, and to to draw from that experience, to profit from that experience in our own human formation so that we, you know, take advantage of the graces and the virtues which God has in store. And so here, even you know, as parents, are it seemingly confused about the purpose of Christian life because his dad, you know, he's a catechumen, but he's not wholly convinced. And so he's like, yeah, you know, kind of uh, go and see the world or go and sow your wild oats. Uh, and then his mom, she's, you know, like she she wants him to have a an influential position in the empire. So she doesn't want him to get married because even while that might cool his lust, it would prevent his advancement. So, you know, everyone's kind of going off their own limited understanding of the situation. Um, they're kind of partially converted inspiration for how to go about living the Christian life, and it's just like you can't account for it all, especially at the state where we find them, but we see in this God's providence, right? We see in this God's gentle kind of guidance, God's gentle encouragement as he takes small steps going from you know, here to there, and, and he'll talk about God in very beautiful terms in this light. So like he'll speak about God as mercifully rigorous, like mingling bitterness into the pleasures so that he would see pure and perfect pleasure in its, in its right light. So maybe, yeah, we could think a little bit about the providence of God and how God permits some things, how God cuts us off from certain things, but at the end of the day, how God draws us to himself. Uh, yeah, your thoughts on that?
1: There's, I mean, the reality of God's providence is that God doesn't react to what we do or say or think in the sense that God changes his sort of course of action depending on what we do. So it's not the case that in St. Augustine's life, God was trying to, you know, God was waiting to see where was St. Augustine going next. So that way I can use that as a way to encounter him or draw him in or that sort of thing. You know, God knows all in his providence, in his, in his mind. He knows how things are going to play out, though that in the end doesn't force us to do things. He provides for our freedom. But it is it is wild to think about the ways by which God uses our free choices and our decisions, whether they be bigger decisions about moving from City to city or place to place, or our relationships with people, how God uses those to bring about deeper conversion, or at least opportunities for deeper conversion, and we see this at play in Augustine's life. You know, well, the question of Father Gregory raised this this point of, well, why didn't Saint Augustine marry? Was it part of God's providence? Well, of course, it was part of God's providence because it. it It happened. Nothing escapes God's providence or knowledge. But was it simply because of a pursuit of a higher sort of position in the empire or political growth or expansion? Or in the end, does it like, does it conduce to Augustine's growth and holiness and his encounter with the Lord? And as we read, the rest of saint augustine's life we can see how that plays out is it the case that god would have loved saint augustine less were he to have gotten married or wouldn't be have been able to use his life in such a way to bring about the sanctity or to be an example or witness to us well no but it's simply how our lord in his providence is is, is working and so too for our lives you know that god uses the circumstances of our lives as the ground to draw us to him too and often we might not see it in the moment but in hindsight we can reflect and witness that
0: yeah and in these passages saint augustine uses seemingly violent language which i think can be alarming for many readers so we hear it said that you know god wounds so that he might heal god kills lest we die apart from him and you hear that and you think like wow god is just ruining my life here i am trying to experience something of the goodness of the earth trying to enjoy just a little bit of the time that i have here with a human body before that you know the general resurrection when i'll get it back and, and God's just ruining it. He's just ruining it because he wants me to follow the rules or because he wants me to do whatever else. And St. Augustine is saying, no, he's using violent language so as to capture our attention. But when we speak of God wounding to heal, we're talking about God who permits us to experience our human life in its difficulty, right, with its trials, with its temptations. Um, and he exposes us to that. He leaves us vulnerable to that because his job isn't to protect us from life. His job is to help us draw forth from life The the graces and virtues whereby we will be transformed into the saints whom we're destined to become. And so, God's going to let us, you know, in calling us forth from this like safety or from, you know, the kind of security of our home, calling us forth into a wide world in which there are many enemies ranged about us, in which there are many difficulties to be encountered, in which there are many temptations to be suffered. He's going to say, Nope, you know, take me by the hand, I'll lead you through it. I'm not going to curate your experience of life so that it's like a boring museum, but I am going to to train you and to discipline you along the way so that way you can grow. Like if you don't leave home, you're never going to experience. Um, and this idea of, you know, killing lest one die apart from him, this idea that like, you know, God has it such that we would prefer death to sin. You know, you'll hear St. Dominic Savio say that, or hear St. John Henry Newman say that it's better that they're, you know, like the entire world be destroyed than that one mortal sin be committed which I think we have to understand in a certain light, <laughs> but still, you know, like this this keen appreciation for God's providence and for God's love as expressed in our own kind of walk with him and our own conversion. So, all right, yeah, final, final thoughts on, on this particular stage as we gear up for what lies in store.
1: It's surprising in reading St. Augustine that the sort of human condition that we experience today, perhaps in our own lives, maybe looking at other people's lives, our past life, whatever it might be, is really so similar to what St. Augustine experienced in his own life, his struggle with chastity and and lust, his desire to be loved, to be affirmed, to have these things, his trying to understand and make sense of the way God's providence is playing out and played out. You know, he's obviously St. Augustine is writing this it's not a play-by-play, it's a autobiography, so he's writing it later in life, but how God's providence was working out. And the questions that St. Augustine raises, and that we'll continue to address as we read through, of, of God's providence, of why does God allow these things? Why does God let me suffer these things? They all are there and on the page, and not simply on the page, but for us to digest and relate to as well and sort of see in our own lives. So yeah, I think those of us who are reading through and listening shouldn't be surprised at how sort of unsurprising St. Augustine's life was and how closely it relates to our own lives. And not just, we'll get to the conversion later in coming books, but not just in respect to the sin and, and that sort of things, but those sort of things, but also to the hope of sanctity and holiness. Um, so there's a real beauty in, in that. And as we as we turn the pages and I guess, What? click next on the neck for the next episode. We can journey in that together and and take comfort that God permits. He allows our lives to be our lives. He gives us the freedom to choose and to be, but ultimately to choose him and to love him. And we see this coming to fruition in Augustine's life and God willing our own.
0: Boom. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're excited to take that journey with you to continue to read along and to offer some small commentary. So that way, what's at work in St. Augustine's life might be, uh, profitable for our own. So, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.